So, hello again and uh, this afternoon I will yeah, present you, yeah, I call it a word study about psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. I think it would be best if you just don't read along because it's, I won't say complicated, but it's, it's detailed and you get lost in some of the things I've written down. There's a, even two or three German phrases in there. Then you, oh, what's this? Some of you know German, I know. Uh, it's so that you can study it afterwards, that you can compare. I have given different Bible versions. I will read some of them, which I think help a lot sometimes when you study the Word, that you read that in different versions. And uh, so it's kind of a word study, also included some of the commentaries, theological commentaries who dealt with the subject. So let's just, maybe we just look at each other and then you can take your time afterwards to read it through. Yeah, I'm really very happy that we wrote already two songs and I uh, heard someone say that if we want to have alive churches, fellowships and have them in, in 10 years, 15 years, we need to write the songs now for that. Songs are full of compassion, of love, of uh, uh, vision, destiny and uh, we all know parts of history where songs have moved history, I would say. We have Luther year, this year 500 years Luther. I think somebody mentioned it that with all his great theological works, which he definitely did and he did a very important thing at that time where God could really use him but many don't know all his songs and somebody said that some of his songs sometimes have moved even more people to really believe God so and also which is on my heart we read these wonderful scriptures today where Jesus Christ how he suffered how what he went through and by his stripes we are healed. We read that today. We are saved and by his stripes we are healed. And that verse is in my life one of the most quoted to myself. Uh, many, many, many times I've just quoted that verse loud, softly, when I'm sick. I, I do that. I pray to God and then I try to think of these verses. And so in this whole context of Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God, I think, like I sh shared yesterday, we need to see this study about psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. And I would like to start to read these two key verses in the New Testament. And to me, they are really the key verses. And they are in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. Before you read it, Elizabeth, let me just share that as a musician, I have read these verses many, many times. And while I was studying them, I have realized that I have read them mostly metaphorically. Sing in your hearts, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. We'll read, so I said, okay, I speak this and I think about it. But I have never actually really thought about that these verses meant singing. Like we, we uh, 
learned, many of you learned, the word means what it says, and it says what it means, except there is a metaphor or something. So, let's read it. Let's start with uh, Ephesians 5.19. Elizabeth, please. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So in both verses we have psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. And they are exactly the same words in Greek. And they mean what they say, and they say what they mean, although while studying them I have realized and some of the commentaries have said that too they are sometimes used interchangeably a psalm is also a song and vice versa many 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 times so but these are I think the key verses for the New Testament for the church and I feel like kind of commandment like an ordinance to the church that's what the church should do but let me start with psalms and with definitions I will go like psalms, hymns and spiritual songs and go through most of the scriptures in the New Testament there are not that many I forgot to put on here the Strong's numbers but I will give them to, to you later the Strong's numbers I've looked them up yesterday and you can put them then in between so if you want to do a word study you can do it or give them maybe I give them you tomorrow because tomorrow will also do a word study. So, psalms, what it originally means is a striking, a twanging, specifically of chords, of a harp. And we read about harps yesterday in the Old Testament. And then it means also a song of praise. So, it is used of one who has in his heart to sing or recite a song. So many times it's, it's singing and Plugging, yeah, you know what it is to plug, uh, you know it, Kai, you just did it. <laughs> so that or even the definition, you can see it's, it, it has these two uh, meanings. So a psalm, it was sung or accompanied by a plugged musical instrument. Uh, typically it was a, a harp. On, and that, that we can uh, specifically see in the Old Testament. So, as you probably know, the, the Psalms in the Old Testament, they were often sung. And it says, even in the first line, to, to be sung by the conductor, whatever, by the one who is leading. And they could be accompanied by all these instruments they had. So, according to the first four occurrences, let's look at one. The first occurrence in Psalm is in Luke 20. 42. Can you read that please? Okay, Luke 20, 42. And David himself saith in the book of Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand. So here it clearly mm -hmm. refers to the book of Psalms. And so it's the same as with the next verses, Luke 24, we don't need to read them now. 24.44 and also in Acts 1.20 and 13.33 they are in this little booklet. Those occurrences specifically refer to the book of Psalms. 
and specifically also to the written book of Psalms. And I just mentioned it, they were sung and they were also sung at Jesus' times, which is very important. Then the, one of the next major occurrences is in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Can, can we read that please? 1 Corinthians 14, 26. And there we have a different meaning of psalm. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. So the different possibilities to interpret this. You can think about it. Each one has a psalm. I mean, it seems to imply to a psalm from the book of Psalms, thus spoken. But if we just compare it now with Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians uh, 3.16, it's more probable that some psalm or song was sung to the glory of God and for the edification of the church. It is listed among other important things each member of the church had when, they, when being gathered together. So they said, Paul said, no, how is it then when you come together? Everyone has a psalm. Now that could be a question, has everyone a psalm? Or it could just be everyone has a psalm. And it goes on, a doctrine, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation. So it's in that list which happens during a church gathering. So we know from reading Corinthians that the Corinthian church was a little, how you say, confused, confusing many uh, times in their services. And they did all kinds not in order. So Paul was admonishing them, now... Whenever you come together, let all things be done unto edifying. So if someone has a psalm, just don't start singing while the other is still preaching. So the Corinthian church just did not use these spiritual things to the edification of the church, but rather used them to show off their great ability. And uh, I found one commentary who said the following kind of a literal translation of this verse, i read it to you. You are apt to confound the several parts of worship, and while one has a psalm to utter by inspiration, another has a doctrine or revelation, or else, you are apt to be confused in the same branch of worship. Many of you have psalms or doctrines to propose at the same time without staying for one another. Is not this perfect uproar? Can this be edifying? And yet all religious exercises in public assemblies should have this view, let all things be done to edify. So that's, I think that's the context of uh, this verse psalm. It could be a song, it could be uh, a psalm from the Old Testament. Uh, could be both, I think. So now we go back to Ephesians, that's the next uh, verse about psalms. Ephesians 5:19, and we need to uh, look at the verse a little more close. Like I said in the beginning, I've read this verse metaphorically, and the first verse where you kind of stumble about is speaking. I mean, how can you speak to yourselves in Psalms? I mean, you can recite the Old Testament Psalms, but then as you go on in hymns, you speak in spiritual songs, and then it says singing. 
and making melody and the word for singing is again the verb form of psalm and the word making melody is the verb form of spiritual song of song so it's talking about singing here so I looked at the word then speaking again and it's the word laleo which some of us know the first basic meaning means to sound, to give forth sounds or tones of inanimate things. It has this meaning, to give forth sounds. So the first meaning of La Lontes shows that the speaking was in form of singing and playing. The German Einheitsübersetzung translates. So I read it in German to you. Lasst in eurer Mitte Psalmen, Hymnen und Lieder erklingen, wie der Geist sie eingibt. Singt und jubelt aus vollem Herzen zum Lob des Herrn. That means let psalms, hymns and songs as the Spirit gives sound amongst yourselves. And that's what I mean, what I think is the meaning of speaking to yourselves. And it also does not say that you speak it to yourselves. The German translation says, let them sound amongst yourselves. So, the other thing doesn't make sense. This is what it's talking about, Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 19. Let psalms and songs and spiritual hymns and spiritual songs sound amongst yourselves in the church, in the fellowship. And then again, singing, not speaking, and making melody. I mean, it's very clear. Yeah. So when I read it, I thought, gosh, it really means this. This doesn't say you don't sing. And again, I, I can say, I, had, I talked to Paula, it's, it, this is not, this is not a, that somebody should feel pressure. If he doesn't sing, he cannot praise God. Please, don't think this way. And I don't definitely want, there are great musicians here. Maybe some is not as good a musician, but believe me, I'm a, professional musician and I have to, had to learn this that I can sing even I play piano I play trombone but I also can sing and 30 years I believed I cannot do it I mean I know I can sing but many people have told me you have a bad voice it doesn't sound nice you oh <laughs> and so I stopped singing I sang in the choir once in a while and this but I never thought I had a good voice so I better shut up so but this is what it means everybody like I shared yesterday, has this new song. And I'm absolutely sure, I don't think there's one in this room who has never uttered a tone, a noise, like a sound. Because that's just God-given, it's in us. Like we can use our voice to speak and to sing. So it's from God, I absolutely believe that. But it's not like we should feel pressured, no, everybody has to write a song now. Now we have written two new songs. Bit, please don't feel pressure that you have to write you. And uh, I close the doors. I don't let anyone out before one, <laughs> at least one song. <laughs> it's a famous joke about the preacher who wanted to have uh, abundant sharing. He said, I close the door until everyone has given <laughs> his abundant sharing. So I won't do that. <laughs> Heki, I think neither. So, but this is a great verse. In your midst, let psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs be sounded forth. That's what it means. And it is, like I shared already, it's evident that this, yeah, it's, a, it's an ordinance. It's what the church should do. When being assembled together, the, the church should sound forth this. And, and we can see that, and we'll see that when we look 
more at the Old Testament, and we did yesterday already, that singing, making music was a very important part of public worship. So, and interesting to me was when I read it that this verse 19 is put in opposition to verse 18. Now, can you read verse 18, please? Be not drunk with wine. Yes, <laughs> Ephesians 5 18. <laughs> you know it by heart. <laughs> you can go along this, but I, I go through the scriptures here. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So, Speaking to yourselves. And that, so, be not drunk with wine. So, now this is addressed to the church. That is even not, this is even not addressed to an individual believer at home. So, you can make your own imaginations what happens sometimes in the church. So, Paul says, be not drunk with wine in the church. Of course, you should never get drunk with wine, that, <laughs> definitely. But speaking, I mean, sounding forth and so on. And I found one uh, note from the Geneva Bible, which says, it's a comment on verse 18 and 19. He, that means Paul, sets the sober and holy assemblies of the faithful against the immoral banquets of the unfaithful, in which the praises of the only Lord must ring, whether it is in prosperity or diversity. So there have been these feasts uh, with the heathen. They, have, they celebrated their god Bacchus. Mm -hmm. And celebration means, of course, this, drinking, drinking, drinking. And so this was, this was the Corinthian believers have seen this. And that's sometimes, I believe, why it crept into the church too. When they had Holy Communion, they brought their bottle with them and then they got drunk. And Paul says, this should not be. And so here it's said in opposition to this. In opposite, being filled with the Holy Spirit, not with the other spirit. So now in Colossians, that is the next key verse I said. Can we read that please again? Mm -hmm. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So this is the other great verse. Now this is, again has the words psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, and again the word singing. I will talk a little bit about that, but let me first read to you two other versions of that same verse. The first one is from the Darby translation. It goes like this, Let the word of the Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another, comma, in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to God. This is the translation from Darby. And the New International Bible puts it like this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonishing one another with all wisdom first and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And so far, we can talk about it with Heike or others, so far I believe this from all the Bibles I read this verse, I read many Bible versions, I think this is the best. So it says, let, uh, I'll read it to you again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you 
and I'll give you another translation. I believe it should be among you here, and it can be translated among you, because he's addressing the church. He's addressing the body of believers who come together. And it should dwell among us richly by teaching, like what we hear today with this wonderful teaching of Heiki, by teaching and by admonishing. So if you study this word admonish, that has more the, the implication of, I would say, maybe one by one, the taking aside one and say, look, this is how great God is, he can help you in your personal situation and deliver you and help you in the, in the situation. And actually that's both what the church is all about. We need a very clear teaching. We need to study the word. And so it also means the word of God has to dwell in us personally. We have to know this word of God. That's very logical. But it also means here, and I think even the, the main focus here is let this word of Christ, the word concerning Christ, what we just read, the whole Bible is basically a word concerning Christ the Messiah, Christ the Lamb of God. So in this word, of course we read it, we study it, we, we meditate on it, we pray upon it, and then we come in the church and we teach it and we admonishing another with this word. And it should be richly not haphazardly, not reluctantly. It should be overflowing with... I mean, everyone has, like we read in Corinthians, different things to contribute. That's why the church is so important. It's so important that the church meets daily. and uh, Because I can focus, I can pray, but like I shared yesterday, I felt the church, I mean, the ones I informed, and then it got some more prayed, I almost could feel it bodily that I had support the last three weeks. And so when we come together, nothing is better. No Skype, no telephone. If I look at you, now you look at me and we look at each other, we sing, we work together. Nothing can substitute this. And it's so important. And, then, and so, and Paul decapsulizes it here. Now, let the word of Christ, concerning Christ, that's our focus. That's what we preach, that's what we live. He is our Lord. Let that dwell amongst you richly, teaching by teaching and admonishing, and the second part, by psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. These three. And it says then how to do it? Singing with grace. Grace in our hearts, with thankfulness, with passion. We have for God's goodness in our hearts. And that's how it should be. That's the purpose of singing. It's not to show our own musical skills or how good we can sing. That's why I could have started earlier to sing because God wants it, that, that we just sing in our hearts, that we sing loud in the bathtub when we go on our way. Uh, we just can sing and for ourselves. But also now here, of course, amongst the church. So let's look now at the verb form of uh, psalms and like I said before making melody in Ephesians 5.19 is the verb salontes and I'll give you the Strong's numbers then too. So it's the verb form of the Greek word for psalms 
and it's five times used in the New Testament and it, first, it refers of course to singing praises to God and let's read one in Romans 15 9 and uh, I'll show you tomorrow if we maybe can be we can do together a, a word study on singing and psalms in the Old Testament at least a, a rough thing I started from this verse, Romans 59, who has a very clear, it's a very clear quotation from the Old Testament. That's a good way how to get a connection from the New Testament to the Old. And then you can start, oh, what, is, what did they use the word in the Old Testament? But we'll do that tomorrow. Can you read it, Elizabeth? 15, Romans 15:9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to be among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. So the words sing, sing unto the name. It's a quotation from, I forgot where it is, 18? Yeah. So we'll read that tomorrow. Now let's read 1 Corinthians 14, 15. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. So what does it mean? Who can tell me? What does it mean to sing with the Spirit? Sing in tongues. Yeah. That's what it means. That's what it says. So we, we pray with the Spirit and we sing with the Spirit. So that's the word, that's the psalontes from Psalms. Then uh, we have Ephesians 5.19 already. It says Psalms and then we don't need to read it again. And then it says singing. Again, the word singing is again the word from Psalms. So we really want to make the point. Psalms. Sing, sing, sing. So then uh, James, can we can read that too, James 5.13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. So, <laughs> we read that yesterday. This is one reason to sing songs. Is anyone afflicted? Should pray. Yeah. Yeah. Is anyone merry? The child does it. We sing. Of course, we sing. It should come from the heart and should be done yeah, with one's whole heart towards God. So, so far Psalms, Psalontes, Psalms singing. And I think these are all the verses of Psalms and Psalontes. Now let's go to hymns, the second word. I'll just give you a definition from Thayer. A hymn, a sacred song, a song of praise to God. Greek is hymnos and it comes from also from the verb form of to celebrate. It has a little more the touch of a song that gives honor, praise or thanksgiving. Of course it is similar to Psalontes or Psalms, but I found it interesting that uh, some, one of the meanings is to celebrate. And what do we celebrate? We celebrate our wonderful God and His Son Jesus Christ. So this word occurs only twice and guess where so in these two verses Ephesians 5 19 Colossians 3 16 and they're together with the word Psalms so and it's yeah basically pointing out to well-known songs of praise to God that became established hymns for the early Christians and it's songs which celebrates God and gives praises and thanks to him and that might be something maybe Paul and Silas have sung in the, in the prison. So again, here it's good to also look at the verb, 
Now we have read this morning, they sang a, they sang a hymn, yeah? Jesus Christ. So that's good that we read that before he went out to this very crucial time in the garden of Gethsemane, they sang a hymn. So this is the word hymneo, comes from hymn, to sing hymns or praises. So in, in Matthew 26, in verse 30, please, Elizabeth. Matthew 26. And when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So it's like we had one verse this morning which Heike shared was just once used. Now this hymneo is a few times used, but the only occurrence when it says that Jesus and his disciples sang is here, as far as I know. Does anybody know another place? That's why you can read over it so quickly. But it says that Jesus and his disciples sang. And I firmly believe this was not just a 30 second song. Just to do it in order to get out. I absolutely believe that Jesus Christ and his disciples needed that song. And it was just before he left to do this prayer to God. Can this cup pass? And he sang. And he didn't sing about some worldly things. I mean, he sang, they sang something which showed the greatness of God, the deliverance of God, the power of God, and all these things. So, now we know from the scriptures, from the accuracy, from what we read today, that uh, Jesus Christ did not have the last, the typical Passover supper with his disciples because he was the final Passover. So here, it, that was the last night, he sat together with his disciples and we read all the things he did on this last supper with his. So when I look towards these commentaries and the different, different Bible translations, they all say that what they sing or what they sang refers to or it seems to refer to the so-called Hallel, that's a kind of a Hallelujah. And there are different kinds of Hallels. There's a full Hallel, and, gives a, a, and there's an Egyptian Hallel. And what this does, these things the Israelites sang during the Passover to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So they had certain parts of the Psalms which they sang, like Psalms 113 until 18 and Psalm 136. And they're still being sung in Jewish families today. And you can also see that in the definition of Thea, number two. So this term Hallel always refers to praise of an ecstatic nature, it says here. In the temple, such psalms were usually accompanied by musical instruments and dancing. They express great joy, which spreads throughout the university. This is from the rabbinical assembly. Universe. So, the German Bible lexicon has a comment on this. It says that the Passover feast can be regarded as the genuine place of this psalms, of this group of psalms. And it's uh, being documented in rabbinical nature, the use of these psalms, 113 to 18 and 136. So, it was during that, like during the fellowships they had at home, the Jews were celebrating the Passover also at home now. And then they had uh, divided this up in two parts, Psalm 113 and 14, and then 15 to 18. 
Talmudic discussion of the liturgical use of Psalms 113 to 18 focuses on how the Psalms incorporate gratitude for God's past acts of salvation and confidence in God's future redemption of Israel. This is from a link from my Jewish learning comment. So you see, I'm, I look to some of the Jewish rabbinical literature to see this. Now, as I said, I don't know if Jesus Christ really sang this, but I could imagine, he, I'm absolutely sure he sang some more than just a little, little song. And this was tradition for the Jewish people to sing psalms. Maybe he has sung some other psalms. So I read to you a few other versions, uh, Bible versions, and I think the King James is not good. And the King James says, and when they had sung, and hymn, the word is hymneo, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then the Murdoch, James Murdoch translation from 1852 says, and they sang praises and went forth to the Mount of Olives. So Murdoch has this Peshitta, the Aramaic uh, translation. And then the New Jerusalem Bible has, after the Psalms had been sung, that's the New Jerusalem Bible, they left for the Mount of Olives. And then have, I have the of course, complete Jewish Bible, they say, after singing the Hallel, this term which refers to all these Psalms, after singing the Hallel, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then there's also an Orthodox Jewish Bible. It says, after having sung the Hallel. So pretty much the same as the complete Jewish Bible. So these last four translations confirm the meaning of hymns being songs of praise or even the above mentioned psalms. I will, I will leave it open at the end. You can decide if whatever he sung, but it must have been something in this direction with his Jewish tradition, must have been psalms, songs of edification. And Jesus and the disciples must have known these songs, praises, psalms, as they were singing them together. You never think about it. He sat there and they were singing. So, so what? Even if, let's say, they sing a psalm, so they have to know the psalm, and I'm absolutely sure they know it by heart, and then they sang it. And whoever started it, maybe Jesus. And if we believe that they did this just in anticipation of the Passover lamb, maybe they sang those psalms, then it took longer than two minutes. And they knew what they were singing. They were taking time to sing this. Then they needed it for their hearts, for the edification not only being in words, but also in, not in tones. They needed both, I believe. This hallow. Was it sung only at the Passover meal, or was it sung also at as, other occasions? Yeah, as far as I know, it was also sung at other occasions. Well, then it may well, well have to no. be, because that was the last time they could sing them. Yeah, I, thank you for mentioning it. I have to check it again, I will check it later, but as far as remember... Oh, let, oh no, sorry, sorry, I have, a, I have a little remark here. Wait a minute. Hallel is recited in two forms. The full Hallel... Eh? Consisting of Psalms 113 to 18, it is chanted in the synagogue on, and then comes Sukkot, Hanukkah, first day of Passover. The first two days in the Diaspora, it says also. That's in the Encyclopedia Judaica. So it's at least, I forgot what Sukkot is, in Hanukkah feast. There's two other Jewish uh, get-togethers. So at least, at least that. The third occurrence is in Acts 16.25. Can you please read that too, Elizabeth? 
Well, let's, let me read it because I have it here in, in, again, different versions. It's here talking about Paul and Silas. So King James has, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. This word saying praises is again hymneo. Then the Murdoch translation says, uh, And at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and glorifying God, and the prisoners heard them. That's NAS, it's the New American Standard. But about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So singing praises, glorifying, singing hymns of praises are translated from this same Greek word, hymneo. And the verse describes exactly what Paul and Silas were doing while being imprisoned in Philippi. They sang praises to God, they were glorifying God. And they both must have known the songs they were singing, either being songs of praise taken from the Psalms or other well-known hymns which were sung in the first century church. But they sang together and thus being edified, being edified themselves, strengthened and being encouraged. So there was a time, they didn't, they didn't start singing, they, they were beaten hardly. It was really a very, very tough situation. And this is one of those situations which I shared yesterday when we sing. We sing in very, very difficult situations. Now, I don't know if I as a musician would have had the guts to really do this. I said, and I don't know, when I had a very, this very, very bad accident with my son 20 years ago, I could not sing, I could do nothing. But okay, that was maybe me, myself specifically, God helping me with other things. But I think this is fantastic. Then finally at midnight they decided to sing. And you, you all know what happened. Yeah? After the song, the prison doors opened. So the last usage is in Hebrew 2.12. And this is a quotation from the well-known Messianic Psalm 22, where Jesus would sing praise to his Father. Can you please read that to us? In James Version, Hebrews 2.12. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. So, the glory of the Father was what Christ saw in his heart. He was set upon it. He gave his life for it. And he would have his people to join with him in it. So we can see that hymns were also well-known songs, either referring to the book of Psalms or other well-known songs. And we heard the other definition was to celebrate God. They were sung in worship to celebrate God for his glory upon his people, or privately, even in the midst of persecution, in order to look only to God, to focus on his goodness, kindness and willingness to deliver. That was hymns and hymneo. And the last and final thing we will look at is spiritual songs. I'll give you first again a definition of theirs. It says a song, a lay, an ode, an ode, you know what a schiller, ode, heute schöner. Götterfunken, that's an Ode. So it says a song, it's used in the New Testament of spontaneous empruntu, that means unrehearsed melodies of praise, not merely sung about or for God, but to God from a spirit-filled heart. 
Spirit-inspired songs minister to God and exhort others, give testimonies about the living God to other worshippers. And so like the other two words, I said it before, like psalms and hymns, these two, this word Ode is also used in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3.16 and it's only, let's see, yeah, used here and this song, which is, can be more spontaneous, en pontu, this should be spiritual, or by the Spirit, or coming from the Spirit, or being Spirit-filled. So let's read first the other usages. They are in Revelation. I read them to you. I have them here in front. Revelation 5.9 And they sung, sung, now it's the verb form already, adosin, a new song. There we have both together. Again, the one we read yesterday, remember? That was one of the new songs, and it's the same word used being twice. I'm once a, the word form and then the substantive. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood of, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And then in Revelation 14.3 And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders and no man could learn that song. Again, here is again Ode. But the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. And then the last one is then in Revelation 15.3 And they sang, Adosin again, the song Ode of Moses the servant of God and the song of the Lamb so we have two songs here and the song of Moses you can read in Exodus 15 1 actually there are two songs of Moses but this is the one when they were the children of Israel were delivered from the catch from the Egyptian slavery and walked through the Red Sea then it says Moses sang the song and then at the end of his life there is another song of Moses uh, documented in the Bible where he admonishes the Israelites to stay to the law and also prophecies of what will happen in the future to them. So, and so here the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, I don't know what this song is, but it's definitely a song about what we just read about Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So there you have the connection again. And it, it's, and it says what it means here then, the song saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of Saints. And then we have again what the song, our songs is all about. It's about the works of God, about praising Him, celebrating Him, and here in the end of our study, so to speak, about Jesus Christ, the Song of the Lamb. Let's see, we're almost through these uh, verses now, and I would, at the end I would just like to go back to our key verses. Now just one more time, picking up the Song of Moses is the Song of Thanksgiving and Praise, such as he taught the Hebrew people to sing after their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. That's what I just said. The redeemed in the book of Revelation should not sing that identical song, but while Moses taught the people to celebrate their deliverance, 
with an appropriate hymn of praise, the redeemed would celebrate their delivery and redemption in a similar manner with a special song. And that's what we are all about, Hello Heki. To do, to write new songs, uh, because we are delivered from the bondage of slavery. So, the spiritual song, or Ode, may contain a greater variety of meta, doctrinal, prophetical, historical, and, and so on. But they are also like the psalms and hymns, songs of praise and in honor to a great and wonderful God who always has delivered and always will deliver. All three words may at times be used interchangeably and mean the same thing. The important point, I think, is that the Christian church yeah, should just sing. <laughs> it's an ordinance to make melody with all her heart with songs of praise to their wonderful God. Instruments we can see, and we will see when we study the Old Testament a little bit tomorrow, will, can be used, and yeah, they were normal in the Old Testament. And it's a very, very joyous thing. When we read those two verses, to me it has, yeah, I would really say the same importance as all the other spiritual matters which are listed. And they should be evident in the church assembly, like praying, like speaking in tongues, like teaching, like having, getting revelation and the manifestations of the Spirit. So, this is in the same list. It's one of the spiritual matters the Church is supposed to employ in their services. So, when we think of Old Testament singing and music at the Temple, which David instituted, and also the Jewish tradition of chanting psalms, we can see that singing and making music has a long tradition from the Bible. And it's not abolished at any time, but has kept its great importance for playing a big part in worship and church assemblies. Now, I haven't found anything really concerning the kind of melody in the Old Testament. I always wished I could listen to David playing the harp to Saul. And there was a time in my music study when I really tried to find out. And I have learned a few more things, but it would, would be too far away now concerning this. What I believe is that he sang, that he played the harp to Saul and that he sang too. Because the more I study this and see it, that to pluck, to sing, I mean, the words are important. So he must have sang something to Saul, accompanied his, by his harp, and Saul was getting delivered. And we know it's the word that makes us free. Now you can have a tune, a melody, and then associating words, God's goodness, you, you get free then, get healed. I, I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really big. Now to sum this up, I feel a great importance of having singing and music, generally in, in fellowships, and it is a spiritual thing, and I think it's also important for the church, for the growing, for the nurture of the church, and, uh, yeah, it should be done and not neglected. It's one part of letting the word of Christ dwell richly amongst us. And so I will close with what I said. I think so far is the best translation of Colossians 3.16 from the New International Bible. Let the word of or concerning Christ dwell in or better among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, 
as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts, which means with all your heart, to God. Thank you.